Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, thank you for checking out the Performance Anxiety Podcast. I'm your host, Mark, and before we start, I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit. The Lira mic and the headphones that come in that kit are amazing. It's definitely the best way to get into podcasting if you've ever considered doing that. Now, this episode is another Performance Anxiety first. I heard about my guest, Susie Stapleton, through a listener, Sandy Olivia. We got to chatting through social media, and I'm always open to that. And Sandy was so enthusiastic about Susie that I had to check her music out. It's moody, atmospheric, and heavy without getting bogged down. After listening to her debut, I reached out and Susie agreed to do an episode. So here we are. We go pretty deep, like how she began playing in Australia but moved to London, meeting Cypress Grove and contributing to the Jeffrey Lee Pierce sessions, touring with Mark Lanigan, and self-producing her full-length debut. Give Susie a follow on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Reach out if there's anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast. You can buy us some coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Yes, we can be bought. Merch is for sale at performanceanx.threadless.com. Now let's get the show on the road with Susie Stapleton on Performance Anxiety, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the one-stop shop for all your music podcast needs. <laughs> Why, thank you. And it's, it's Mark Coche. Is that correct? Mark Shea. Okay, Shea. Gotcha. Hey, I'm Susie Stapleton. You're listening to Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea. Is that all right? No, we already promoted the album, didn't we? We did. There's there's an hour of promoting the album there. <laughs> but yeah, um, had some great guests. Oh, I know. I've been very lucky, very yeah, blessed. Great list. <laughs> so, bunch of people that you're familiar with. So yeah, Mark yeah. Lanigan, Rob Marshall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I listened to his one actually. Oh, I um, love Rob to death. He's great, yeah. He's such a nice guy. So it's he's uh he, he's one of the ones he's that so humble, isn't he? He's really cool. He yeah. really is. He's one of the ones that that you know he's, he stayed in touch afterwards, and we we still chat all the time. So it, it's really really cool. That's cool. So and I want to thank one of the, <laughs> the uh, no worries one of the listeners that I've recently acquired i'm gonna say acquired i don't know if that's the right word or not um mm. sandy olivia she uh she introduced me to your music i you know put out there said who who's a 
a good person to, to get to approach to be a guest on the podcast. And she said, first thing was, was Susie Stapleton. So. Oh, that's lovely. So I. You sent Shout out. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I listened and I'm like, oh yeah, this is, I got it. I got to reach out. So thank you, Sandy. And thank you, Susie, for coming on. This is really, uh, really wonderful to, to have you on and, and talk about your music. Thank you. So. So. You come out of hiding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I want to find out a little bit more about what's going on in, in the UK as far as, um, shows and, and playing out. But I mean, we can, we can get to that eventually. Cause I want to kind of, yeah, let's not start with the pandemic. Cause you know, exactly. we've had 18 months of that or something. We have a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm ready to move past it. I'm ready. I don't I'm ready even to know what's happening anymore. No, I do. We can get to that, but yeah. I'm ready to soon. not talk about it in a podcast anymore. But yeah. everybody's been affected. You know, everybody who's got something coming out now or who had something come out recently is it's all been affected, whether they were recording it during the pod the the <laughs> recording during the podcast. Recording <laughs> it during the pandemic or it was delayed because of the pandemic or it's yeah it's hard not to talk about it at really the moment, isn't it? very yeah. tired of it but it's you, you kind of have to but yeah you are originally from australia that is correct that's why i have this shit accent <laughs> <laughs> i love australian accents they're awesome no they're awesome it's better I than guess. the jersey new jersey accents i grew up with <laughs> so what got you into music early on? How, how was the Stapleton household growing up? I mean, were you, were you listening to a lot of music or was, uh, was there a lot of stuff being played and, and what were you listening to? So we're going to childhood, right? Yeah. I feel like I need a white leather couch to lean back on here. Right? <laughs> I don't have to apologize to childhood Susie, do I, or anything? Um, <laughs> only, only if you're comfortable with it. This is okay. a safe space. <laughs> um, so, yeah, music was around, not in a way that no one was a professional musician or I certainly didn't have any influences like that, people who really played or anything, but it was around, you know. Yeah. My mom listened to a lot of music um, and my dad, they both listened to a lot of music. I guess a lot of just 80s pop was around just because that's in the atmosphere Yeah. in the 80s. Mom was obsessed with Neil Diamond. Oh, wow. Put a disclaimer there that that's almost all I listened to for many years, not through choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> wish I was horrified by it at the time. Now I'm like, he can write a good tune, not my taste particularly, but like, fuck, he's written a lot of big tunes. I know. Uh, you know, I, I kind of have the and same feeling. My brother, my younger brother, is, loves Neil Diamond. My parents listen to him all the time. Right. And I kind of am in the same boat with you as back then. I was just like, oh, God, come on. Can we put something a little bit better on? But yeah, I've grown to appreciate him a lot more. Same. Oh, yeah. I hated it at the time. And then they've, they've been playing a lot of old Glasto stuff, Glastonbury stuff on um, BBC at the moment. And so they've been doing their, what do they call it? The Legends stage or whatever they call it. Oh, Every cool. year they've been playing those and they had a Neil Diamond one on. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like, I can't believe I'm digging this right now. Fuck, I must be bored in lockdown. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Not yeah. a big influence, nope. I must say. Another new Diamond. <laughs> but, um, yeah, music was around. Mum played a bit of piano, like as just a hobby, not seriously and not really often. But it was okay. there was a piano in the house, and um, 
guess when I was about five, I did some piano lessons, but um, with a, a woman up the road. And it didn't last long because I'd go up to her house and, you know, you'd sit on the piano stool and she'd sit next to you, which was, you know, normal because she's showing you things. But she'd lean over me and she <laughs> had a really not pleasant breath, which <laughs> I it repelled me from the instrument and so I didn't practice and I you know I mean I was five I didn't think to explain this to my mother why I wasn't practicing why I didn't like it so she's just like oh well you know you're not practicing that's that and you know I didn't want to keep going yeah so that was short-lived <laughs> and <laughs> then I, I killed your piano career yeah and then I begged her not long after to to learn violin, but she's like, nope, you didn't practice piano. I'm not getting up in the morning to take you to bed and practice. I'm like, oh man, and like, I should have just told her, but hey. it just didn't occur to me. So well, yeah, I mean, it was a long time before I got back to it. Wow. Well, you know, at that age, you're taught to be respectful to your elders, and you don't want to say, oh yeah, she's got terrible breath. Yeah, well, didn't even think about it. So <laughs> like, if I could turn back time, there's an 80s reference. Yeah. <laughs> so what what music really started to light the fire in you to want to play? I think I would have been high school, you know, like I say, it was all pop and just the shit that was around before that, you know, was, you know, stuff that you don't seek out. It's just kind of, just forced to, you know, it's just yeah. there. But um, remember at high school, first year of high school being handed a, a taped version of Nirvana's Nevermind. And I reckon that just blew my mind and it got played a lot on like cassette Walkman over and over and over. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the days, right? Maybe carry two, three tapes in you without it being a pain. Just listen to albums start to finish, start to finish, you know? Yeah. 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 Cause rewinding and fast forwarding was a pain and it would ruin your cassettes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Um, the heat Oh, God forbid it got hot. Mm, then your yeah. tape would melt or get stuck in the cassette player. Oh. <laughs> See, kids today don't know the struggles. Dude, they don't know real pain, do they? No, they no. don't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think from there, you know, it was the 90s, so it was all grunge for me for, for years there. You know, I went to... Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and yep, was- all of that stuff, which was, you know, and that's, like I said, you know, you had your cassettes and you would just get so familiar with albums, which doesn't happen, well, for me as much now anyway. For anybody, but, uh, really, from, you know, yeah. there's some great things that the internet has done, but free music slash pirated music and streaming music has just really ruined the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that I paid for my cassette tape. <laughs> you know, it was slower, wasn't it? You had to but really work for your... your exactly. <laughs> you, you were involved in it because you had to take the cassette out, you had to flip it over to play it, and you couldn't just pick a song. You just had you had to play it. And if you wanted to hear a song specifically, you had to fast forward and try to time it right. It's it's There was a little bit of interaction, at least. Mm. Or I remember, like trying to record a song you really liked off the radio, yes. you know? So you'd have that on, you're like, oh, it started. So you'd always be missing the first bit of yeah. the song. <laughs> yeah, like the first, like, five to ten yeah. seconds or oh, never there. Yeah. Um, 
times. So when did you, what, what came first for you, uh, singing or playing guitar then? I would say singing because I always sang, you know, not with a, it was just something I did even as a child, not okay. with a view to anything. Neil Diamond. I would, Neil Diamond. <laughs> I think, you know, whatever the things you do when you're a kid, like school things, whatever. I always sang, but I sang for enjoyment as well. And I think, and especially in those early years of high school, listening to all that music, I just I said, I, I would go home after school and sing along to it all. And, um, yeah, it was a release. It's just a, it's a good feeling to sing. And I think the guitar came shortly after. So when I was 14, so a couple of years after I'd been listening to all this music, I remember this quite clearly, and it was I was in the car with the family, with my mum and sister at least, and um, the radio was on, and Sweet Child of Mine came on. And I wasn't, Guns N' Roses weren't really my band, they were more my sisters, you know, so I knew them it all from there, but, you know, great band. Yeah. And there was just something about hearing, I was lying in the back of the car, watching the sky pass, you know, the stars pass overhead, and just that riff and that tone of the guitar, you know, it's it's so powerful. Yeah. And I, I just went, and I mean, I must have thought, you know, I knew I loved music, but just at that moment I went, can I can I learn guitar, you know? And mum, wow. bless her, now said yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and got me a guitar. Started with classical guitar, actually. But um, So that was when I started... Uh, learning and I did some lessons there and did a bit of self-teaching and got an electric guitar probably within a year of that. At what point did that evolve into playing with other people? Well... Where did you get that confidence to, to, to bring it out to, to let other people hear you play? It was a fucking long road. Right? <laughs> it's a long way to the bottom rung if you want to rock and roll. Let me tell you. It's... <laughs> So after, so I got my guitar at 14, started playing. But um, when I was 16, I left home and left school. And um, I got into the dance music scene. Oh, right? wow. I went completely away from rock for various reasons. It was more who I was hanging with and what I was doing and things, you know. Okay. Just say party. Yeah. <laughs> and I, um, I was just went headfirst into that world. And so I was... Um, I was working at a street press paper when I was 16 and uh, was doing radio and was like going out and writing reviews and doing, but doing interviews. I was actually editor of the dance music section by the, when I was, I think 17 at this paper, <laughs> like doing all this crazy stuff and wow. yeah, just partying and then DJing as well. So I was, dance music wasn't even on sort of the mainstream radio at that point. You know, I remember there's triple J in Australia and I remember like, during that time when they'd play the odd club tune that we'd hear out, we're like, oh, my God, they played that on Triple J. You know, so I was working at community stations where they were playing dance music. Um, but that was real a new thing. It was like, we've got to, you know, get dance music out there. You know, so it was fucking weird that it was like that. <laughs> it's the dance music revolution. That's where that video yeah. game came from, apparently. I mean, obviously there were, you know, obviously there was some stuff which was chart stuff before that, but it was still just not as saturated as it as it is now so so that was weird i had a few years djing and partying and um then i probably when i was about 20 or just before i just i got sick of playing other people's music you know and i just 
remembered that thing inside me. It was actually, I remember this. I was working at a club in Sydney's King's Cross and um, just like a bar there. And I remember going out for a break just along the main street to get some food or whatever. And this guy was um, busking. And he's actually this um, MC from this old Sydney band called Meta Basin Breath. I, I then found out later. And he was just rhyming and sort of playing a beat on something. And, you know, he's just freestyling about people walking past and said something about me in the red shirt or whatever. And I was just like, just kind of hit me this, not that I wanted to rhyme and things, but this guy doing this cool spoken word thing and like performing and like it was it was just so different you know I've been hanging out with DJs in that DJ world and you know no disrespect to them that's a thing but it was just wasn't my path and I just yeah. remember this guy and this kind of connection going oh I miss I miss that I miss my guitar I miss singing and that kind of was a bit of a moment when I just sort of sparked something and I started to think about performing again so um wow. or you know playing rather because I hadn't performed at all yeah. Um, so to go back to your question, when did I start playing with people? I actually, yeah, it was within, within about a year of that. I went to study audio engineering. Oh, okay. Um, and there I met um, someone who I started co-writing with and just singing though. He played guitar. So okay. I started, I was very, because uh, I mean, I hadn't played a lot of guitar by then. So I wasn't confident with my guitar skills. I could play chords, but I just always sort of left it to, to him at that point. Um, that never got off the ground, but that's when we started collaborating and, and writing. Okay. Uh, yeah. At what point did that progress to taking the music to the public? Mm. So, so that was in Sydney. Mm. I guess that kind of fell apart, that collaboration for whatever reasons. And I, um, remember auditioning for a lot of bands in Sydney, you know, as a singer. And there was all these ads in street press and things, you know, singer wanted. And I went, you know, it was always a bunch of dudes in a garage playing, sometimes okay, sometimes not so okay music. And <laughs> yeah. went to a lot of these things. Cause, <laughs> and I actually, I think I got into all of them, but I didn't find anything that I was like, yes, this is it. It was like a... You know, there was some cool things, and we, some people had jammed with a bit, but just nothing was really gelling. Yeah. And um, I moved to Melbourne around this time, so when I was about 25, and did the same thing there for a bit. Found another collaborator I worked with for a bit, but I just got – that then fell apart, and I just got really sick of kind of relying on someone else to to do the music. So um, I started writing more of my own stuff, you know, guitar and vocals, and – was just kind of frustrated. I was never, I was never surrounded by the right people who, like, I had no fucking idea how you would book a gig, how you, how you would do anything. Like, I just <laughs> I went to gigs and things, but it all just seems, I don't know. I just wasn't really. It's not something that comes anything. naturally. You know, you don't know. You don't think, okay, I'll just go and book a gig now. You know. Yeah, especially like I hadn't been playing with people, so it wasn't, it wasn't thing like at school. I really wanted to play with the guys there that played music, but they wouldn't let me play with them. So, you know, so oh, when I was a teenager, like I didn't have people to play with then, you know, so it was always just kind of this mystery. I'm like, wow, well, the fuck do I do this? But, um, <laughs> bastards, look at me now. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, dudes. Um, it's, <laughs> look at me now working a day job and still not making music. 
money from music. Um, <laughs> Hanging out on a podcast with some dude in Virginia. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, Try myself now. That was a joke. Um, now we're both sad. We're sad. Um, <laughs> um, All right. All right. So Melbourne performing. Okay, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> back to Melbourne. I got I got a jack of it all, repli- relying on people, and then I wanted to go to an open mic night. I've never even been to one, right? Okay. I was like, I need to see what happens at these open mic nights. <laughs> so I said to my best friend, I'm like, we just come to me to this thing down the road. Let's just, I just, if I'm going to get up and perform at one, I need to at least see what the fuck happens at one, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we went up to this this one in St Kilda you know, St. Kilda in Melbourne. And, um, there's this little cafe on Ackland street. And, um, we walked in and there was three people there maybe with like one guy performing. Oh, wow. And, um, so we're sitting there having a drink. He's played his songs. I'm like, Oh, fuck it. I'm like, dude, can I borrow your guitar? Just play a couple of songs. You know, I hadn't really thought about this, but I was like, there's no one here. Just fucking do it. Wow. So I grabbed, he was, a legend he gave me his guitar and i jumped up and there, basically there was two songs of my original songs that i could play on guitar myself start okay. to finish you know like i didn't have much at this point right and i played those and um you know i mean not much happened because <laughs> like i said people there and anyway, I said to my friend, oh, that's cool. I've done it. That's all right. I could probably do this again. We went out the front to have a drink. I just sit on the street and have a drink. And we're sitting there and the bartender comes out and goes, fuck, I love that. That was amazing. He goes, do you want to do a gig here next Saturday night? Oh, wow. And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, you know, what's, what's the deal? And he goes, well, it's a three hour set. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> he goes, you know, you can do three sets, have a little break in between each day. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. What next Saturday? That's 10 days away. Right. All right. So um, I come up with an hour set in goes, 10 days. Yeah. He goes back inside and I was like, holy shit. What the <laughs> fuck am I going to play? <laughs> like I didn't even play a lot of covers. I, I noodled a lot, you know, but I didn't. So like, I mean, obviously I've done a few covers, and I just brushed up everything I'd ever kind of known. And um, I'm pretty sure I repeated the first set again for the last set. But I just I just went for it. That's amazing. Though. Oh, my. You didn't have that much to work with. And you just like, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. I know. Like, as soon as I said, I was like, fuck, what did I set that for? But I was like, OK, this, this feels like a sign. Like, I need to just... You know, I mean, it was it was a gig playing to people at a cafe eating their dinner. You know, it wasn't like changing my world, but it was it was a start, and it was like a kick up the bum to like get in front of people. I was I was 27 then, so like that's late to play yeah. your first gig. Hey, um, you know, at this point, I'm 48, and I haven't played my first gig yet. So, <laughs> so you beat me. It's still time. <laughs> so that was the beginning of. The public Susie Stapleton. Very early. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, I mean, did you keep going as a solo artist or did you start uh, putting a band together to play, uh, to, to play more gigs or what, what was yeah, the progression was... to the, the first EP? Mm, okay. Well, 
Okay, the first EP, I was going to skip some then. So the first EP, <laughs> very soon after this um, experience, like I didn't want to be playing covers, but obviously that was just a way to get started. So pretty soon, like I just started finishing songs of my own and, and getting a set going. And um, the <laughs> I decided to enter a band competition, but solo. There was just some band comp at this place, again, in Melbourne called Revolver on Chapel Street. Okay. And they had this band competition that each week they were doing rounds. And <laughs> there was like 96 bands all up, right? Oh, wow. And um, I got through my heat and then I got to like the finals and I fucking won it, which was hilarious because wow. I was like just solo. I think I was even on acoustic guitar still. I definitely was still on acoustic guitar then. Oh, my And God. the prize was um, some recording time a few days in a little studio. So um, I was like, right, well, I'm going to do an EP. And yeah, how did, okay, how did that band come together? Because, okay, so I was talking to my friend who I said in Sydney I collaborated with, who was still a very good friend. He went more in the audio engineering route. And um, I was chatting to him about it. I was like, all right, I want to get a band together. And, you know, I want it to kind of sound like this. And these are the songs I want to record. And I said, um, Fuck, it'd be cool to have some double bass on there. And um, I was working at an uh, an engraver at the time, right, in sort of a back street of St Kilda. I wasn't engraving. I was doing their kind of um, admin stuff, bookkeeping. Okay. And um, next door to that, there was an art gallery. And we'd have kind of chats with them over parking outside and whatever, you know, stuff yeah. you do when you're sharing space. <laughs> yeah. And they flyers, uh, exhibitions, and there was this exhibition um, of rock photography. Ooh. And I thought, oh, I'll pop in and have a look after work. This was, And this was the next day after I'd been speaking to my mate about what I wanted to record. And I um, went to the exhibition and, you know, was chatting to a few people and ran into this guy, Shane Walsh, who um, I'd met him before a couple of years earlier and sort of seen him about town but not seen, like, didn't really know him. And we started chatting and um, we just, you know, I didn't know much about him, but it was, uh, he's like, oh, I'm a musician. I'm like, what do you play? And he's like, double bass. I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just like the next day. And I was like, well, you know, do you want to have a jam? And so it, it grew from there. And Shane, um, <laughs> like, I'm so lucky. Some of the people I've been able to play with, he was, he's, he's a fantastic double bass player. And he was playing with Tex Don and Charlie at the time. I don't know if you know much about the Australian music. Not so much. Uh, do you know Tex Perkins at all? Beast of Bourbon and things. Was, I've heard of Beast of Bourbon. Yeah. But yeah, so it's the singer from that and okay. um, Charlie Owen, who's into vinyls and things, and um, Don oh, Walker. Okay. It, was, it was their show, and Shane played bass. So it was just, it was hilarious because I just stumbled into like suddenly, I guess, <laughs> musicians that, you know, could play really well. And I, you know, it was, it was fucking great. So Shane kind of helped me put together this band, which, um, I think Ian Kitney, who was on drums, he someone else at the studio recommended him, and then um, John Nolan played some guitar, and that was Shane and I went to a pub and saw um, Johnny's band, and 
he was just shredding. And so when I was like looking for someone to play on six feet away, I was at one of the songs. Yeah. I was like, what about that guy we saw at that pub the other night? He's like, Johnny Nolan. I was like, yeah. It's like, all right. So we asked him and he was up for it. And like, he's been in all these great bands, Powder Monkeys and things. And, and then, yeah, we got Charlie Owen to play, to play on that record and a couple of songs as well. So it was, um, a lot of good fortune. And, you know, I mean, it was pretty undeveloped on my side of things at EP, (laughs) but it was, you know, it was a great experience and very fortunate in a lot of ways, you know, to win the recording time and then work with those guys. So, here on discogs and i mean i mean you took advantage of it and it's hard to find the songs for that i found some live versions i mean you get you've got like you said the double bass which that's awesome to get no matter what drums mm. you, you've got you know a pretty awesome like uh, lead guitars but you've also got a rhodes piano on there so a hammond organ you know midi's work slide guitar like you said with charlie it sounds like whatever time you had you really took advantage of it yeah well we had um we had the few days that i won and actually that was just there was just drums bass and me and then yeah i think some of that uh, the johnny and charlie with the extra guitar we did that at a second studio which i paid for called atlantis in melbourne okay so we finished it and um finished the recording there and then um I mixed with, yeah, my friend James Freeman, who, who was back up in Sydney. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. So then, so that, I guess, kind of comes out. It's because it's not, not on a label, self-released. And mm-hmm. uh, that was in 2008. And then it took, what, four more years for the next one to come out? The... Obla di Diablo, which to me sounds like a satanic Ringo Starr album. <laughs> but I listened to it and it's awesome. I was able to find some of the, the tracks on, on YouTube and uh, it's crazy. I love it. That that fiddle that you've got going throughout the, the, the violin. It's the screeching. Yeah. Is that the cello? It's, okay. He's amazing. Gareth Skinner. Yeah. A great player oh in my Melbourne. God, that that is so spooky sounding throughout the whole you know, throughout every track that it's on, and it's I love that sound. I love when music kind of creeps me out a little bit. Fucking amazing. Like, my cons are making a cripple out of me, at, but 
I, I, I have to tell you, and I've heard this a couple live versions of this song of the artesian water is mm. brilliant. I absolutely love that. I love the studio version and the live versions. And it's when I hear a song, I usually like one over the other. And mm. I couldn't, I really couldn't tell you which one I like over the, because they're both just incredibly powerful. Is that an original? So um, I was about to do a disclaimer here. It is, I, I wrote the music, but the words are a poem by um, an Australian poet called Banjo Patterson. Oh, wow. Um, and that came about, um, so God, sometime, sometime between the first EP and the second, I got asked to do this. Um, it was like a theater thing in Melbourne and, the idea was so Banjo Patterson is like a well-known Australian bush poet from like the late 1800s okay early 1900s I gotta get my years right there something something around <laughs> there back in the oldie days long time ago and he's he's someone you know you learn about at school and things you know he's he's, he's well known right. and um he yeah, they, for this theatre production, they got a bunch of songwriters to interpret his poems with music, right? So everyone did a couple of songs each. And um, that was one of the poems I chose, which is quite funny because I hadn't really read a lot of his stuff except the well-known ones. Right. And, um, yeah, there was a lot more interesting stuff in there that I had anticipated. And I found the lyrics to that one, the words, very interesting and evocative. And so, yeah, I did all the music to it and put, put it to music. Uh, but, oh, and I actually, I re, I wrote the, the bridge as well. Like I did some additional, Oh, cool. Um, like I did an additional section. So if you look up the original poem, you see there's like an additional bridge in there. Oh, um, oh that's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. It was really, I've, 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 since then I'm like, I should do that again. There's some other poems and I haven't, but it was a good way to write <laughs> and really enjoyable. <laughs> That was only 10 years ago. What I'll get around to it. But there's no artesian water We past 3,000 feet And the contract price is rising And the boss is nearly beat But it must be down beneath us And it's down we got happening with you uh between 08 and and 2012 were you just working or were you playing or both that's a good question <laughs> let me cast my mind back Every, everything has taken me a long time but it's like yes i'm always working at the same time as well so there's that but um i mean a lot of people are uh i was i did like i did get a live band together so and I had a few lineup changes within that time. And I think 
yeah, 2009, 2010, I would have, 2009 was the first band lineup with um, Helen Buckley on drums and Rui Pereira on guitar for a little while and Tommy Sloan, Jim Celine on bass. We had a couple of bass players. I'm going to forget people and I'll get in trouble. But <laughs> Ryan was on bass as well. Um, and then it kind of settled to Craig Williamson on drums and Leigh Fan and Dungan on bass, which was who recorded with for the EP. And then um, Gareth Skinner on cello. He was the the one who who just sort of stepped in for the for the recording. But um, I guess yeah, during that time I was just playing live, developing the band, trying different things, playing lots live in Melbourne for the first time. Did a few interstate tours, but mostly just yeah, playing and writing and. Hopefully working. getting better at it, you know, yes. and working. Honing your craft. Honing my craft, yeah. <laughs> I used to, yeah. I was probably doing other stuff around then too. I used to do acting probably up until around that point. It was oh, really? up until it Yeah. So Was that something that you'd always done as well, or was that just another kind mm-hmm. of like a hey, we need an actor? Yeah, I'll do it. Like No, it was something I'd always done and I if I had more hours in the day I'd probably still do it. But it was always music was really my passion whereas acting was something I just really enjoyed doing and um so you know I had an agent in Sydney and like would pop up on Aussie dramas and things um doing like bit parts usually oh, playing cool. like a um, junkie prostitute was my specialty <laughs> <laughs> or a or a bogan single mum that was the other one um, <laughs> I wasn't typecast at all no yeah. not at all something about happens. the way I look I don't know yeah. what it was but there you go. <laughs> so was being typecast the reason you moved to the UK? <laughs> um, the UK. So <clears throat> fast forward a few years. So 2012, Obla Diablo came out. 2015, I moved to the UK, um, which is something I sort of wanted to do for years and just finally bit the bullet and did it. I, I By that stage... Um, from around that time that second EP came out I because that EP was put out on vinyl by Beast Records in France who put out a lot of uh, Aussie bands and so sort of through them and then a few other things I uh I toured in Europe each year for the first few years um and you know mainly France a bit of oh my god Spain, Germany, Czech Republic have done quite a lot of, and yeah, UK. So I'd been over once a year for a few years, and uh, yeah, there was just so much more scope to so many more places to play. You know, Australia's awesome. I, I love it. I miss it. But it's, um, you know, you got a thousand kilometers in between major cities. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, you've got like five major cities, so it's yeah. kind of hard to, to <laughs> tour all the time, yeah, especially that's... when you're playing underground music, you know? Yeah, you know, that's going to be tough. Oh, it's great. Of... And I mean, Melbourne's one of the best cities in the world. I can say hands down without prejudice. There's so much music there. It's, it's fucking amazing, but it's, it's just so far removed from everything else, you know, just physically it's uh, a long way to get anywhere. So I get, yeah, that's gotta be difficult. If I mean, because even if it's if it's got a lot of places, it's you're still limited to one city at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
it's it's great i love melbourne but um yeah just for me i just wanted to sort of get out and explore the world and yeah and play play much of europe uh which is now fucked thanks to brexit maybe. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's let's not talk about that playing no. or brexit yeah nah. let's <laughs> so <laughs> yeah all right so so you move over to the uk in in 2015 then and it was just just a desire to expand then? Did you have anything set up as far as, as uh, employment or, or a tour or gigs or anything like that? Or did you just like, I'm going, Let's just, I'm just, it's, I'm tired, it's time to go? It was interesting. I'd actually, there was a bit of that, but what, when I was on, so I must have been end of twenty. It was the end of 2013, I think. I was, or whatever, whenever in 2013, I was on a tour, very DIY in Europe. Okay. And um, a, very, a lot of the shows very last minute because a bunch had fallen through, whatever. That was just not really relevant. But I met <laughs> <laughs> on this tour, on one of the sort of very last minute book shows in London, a friend of mine in Germany told one of his mates to come along. Right. And his mate was Cypress Grove. Who's, um, the producer of the Jeffrey Lee Pierce sessions project. Right. Yes. And, um, I'll come back to how that all happened in a minute, but just to finish your question, I worked on this thing called the Jeffrey Lee Pierce sessions project, which I can explain more about. Right. And that came out and that, and then, um, through that I started working, with Cypress Grove on some releases he did with Lydia Lunch. This was when I got back to Melbourne. We were doing it all remotely and I was just sending back vocals and that those had come out and I just um I just felt like this urge to come over to the UK and sort of, you know, I had some cool connections there and I was like, fuck it, there's just all this stuff going on. I wanna I wanna get over there. And I, I basically I did a tour at the end of twenty fourteen. Like it was November. I came back and I was just like, I'm going now. And I left in January with all my stuff. I shipped everything over. Like, it was just really, I just was like, I'm going. I just like, I think once I decide something like that, like, you don't want to sit around thinking about it for a year because it just drove you insane. I was like, I have to go. I have to go and see what's out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can understand so, that. Yeah. That's that's how I yeah. ended up in Virginia. Similar situation. My wife and I made the decision and we acted on it. Yeah. I think you got to sometimes or you might go a bit mad you know yeah or either that or you'll just never do it yeah change your mind talk yourself out of it or yeah, yeah. all of that it's yeah, too it's difficult yeah uh, you know i do it but then i gotta ship everything i gotta do this but if you just do it then it's, you do it yeah i think it was six weeks i was gone i came back decided and i was like bam wow. yeah so that was that was probably the most stressful thing I've ever done. Like going, I'm going to ship all my stuff to the other side of the world. <laughs> See ya. No Peace. job to go to, nothing. Like I, luckily I'd had, I'd been saving up and I had savings at that time. And so I was just able to do it, which was, you know, weird in itself. But, um, yeah, no. yeah just, it was the time. <laughs> I, I know. I used to have savings too. That was, yeah. What, what the hell happened? To, oh, I have three kids. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you mentioned uh, meeting up with Cypress Grove and working on the Jeffrey Lee Pierce sessions. How did how did you get involved with that and, and the Lydia Lunch work? Okay, so 
to backtrack to to that. Yeah, that's just, I, yeah. with this podcast, I do that all the time. It's like, yeah, I'm here. Well, we got to go back to this. Oh, move. No, no, it's good. It was too much to go through all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like I say, I was on this DIY tour, and um, this very last minute show, he he got invited by a friend of mine. You know what I mean? And um, he, it was actually before the show. He messages me on Facebook. Now, this was the last show, like the next night or two nights later, okay. of an 18-day tour. So I'd been traveling Europe for four weeks or, or something. Right. And at this point, I was at my grandmother's house in Sussex because she was still alive then, living near where I live now. Okay. Um, bless her. She was in her 90s. And um, wow. so I'm having a week there. With a flu, of course, because as soon as you stop on a tour like that, you get sick. So I'm lying in bed surrounded by, like, florals with tea and things, you know. Oh, wow. And I love grandmas. I love grandmas. Bless her. She was, she was fucking awesome. She oh. was a very funny woman. And so I'm sitting there, got my laptop, and I get this message on Facebook going, Hi, I'm Cypress Grove on this... Um, you know, I do this thing called the Jeffrey Lee Pierce Sessions Project, uh, who is, of course, the late singer of the Gun Club, um, for those of you who don't know. And so he went on to explain the project to me, which um, basically he he was a friend of Jeffrey's and uh, he did an album with Jeffrey. They, they did like a, a collab and an album together. And after um, Jeffrey passed away in 1996 and... Right. Sometime later, like several years later, um, Cypress Grove found some old tapes in his attic of uh, old demos and things, like songs that hadn't been finished. Oh, wow. Um, so sketches of songs and little demos and ideas and things. And he thought, oh, it would be great to, to finish these, you know. And so he started to, to reach out to collaborators and friends of Jeffrey's to see if they wanted to be a part of this project and finish the songs. And um, I think the first person he wrote to was Mark Lanigan actually just like sent him a message on MySpace. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, that's dating it. Yeah, totally. So Mark bless him was, was up for it. And um, he was like the first one on board and then, yeah, just it that's grew awesome. from there. So that this, at this point, Tony was working on the third. So, one of the things about the project is people have taken the same song and like finished it in different ways. So, you know, there's not like, it has to be like this, you know, it's about people right. sort of, you know, treating the material with respect and, you know, doing different interpretations and things. And then through, through, throughout, they've also been like various live recordings on earth and like alternate versions of release songs and things. So it's kind of grown. So at this point he was working on the third album in the series Okay. And yeah, so he goes he goes to me, look, I'm working on the third album. Here's the past two albums, check them out. You know, it was Mark Lennigan, Nick Cave, Debbie Harry, Did he Lydia do, Lunch, all these people on them. Was yeah. was Cypress involved in the uh the We Are Only Riders version? Was that him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's him. So okay. he's kind of like the overall 
producer but doesn't mean he produces every track as such like different tracks come together in different ways some people just hand in a whole track finished okay he has done the arrangements on some and just got people to record their vocals or people have recorded parts in like studios all over the world like separately and then the songs come together like each song has a story basically the way they've come together but um because i we are only yeah, riders he, is incredible i love the yeah you know, Cripple Black Phoenix is on there. David Eugene Edwards. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, the, the musicians involved, it's just, you know, everyone I love, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so here I am, and my grandmother's surrounded by florals with the flu. <laughs> and well, let's get back to where we were. Right, yeah, and the uh, flu. I'm getting these messages from this guy on Facebook telling me, this about the project and then saying do you have time while you're in london to come and record some vocals at my place um wow i want some i wanted someone with a voice like pj harvey and i want you to do it something like that and i'm going oh this guy's full of shit what the fuck yeah and like <laughs> it's gonna be like a those craigless murders yeah yeah i'm like no way, I'm not going to some random dude's house. <laughs> anyway, he starts sending me, <laughs> sending me demos of some things he wants me to sing on. And uh, one of them, sorry, can you hear seagulls there? They're yes, it's okay. awesome. <laughs> it adds an atmosphere to the podcast. Yeah, I am by the sea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're on all my fucking demos at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, it's funny. So he's sending me these demos, and then he sends me one. And, you know, like, I'm paranoid about this. I'm going, this isn't real. This yeah. this isn't happening to me. You I know what I mean? You. Like, I'm, I'm doing this DIY tour. Like, I'm nothing, nothing like this has ever happened before. Like, what the fuck? This guy's full of it oh yeah and I don't, anyway don't blame you i mean that's you know out of the blue like that you, you gotta like, be a yeah, little yeah i'll come to your house sure oh, yeah um yeah <laughs> uh, and leave your he... cell phone at home don't tell anybody where you're at yeah <laughs> and um then he sends me a demo uh of one of the tracks which ended up on the album and he's like this is this is a song, uh, Cripple Black Phoenix of the band. I'm doing lead vocals. And then there's this call and response section at the end, male and female. I want you to do the female part. And uh, the male part is Mark Lanigan and Bertrand Cantan. Wow. And I was like, Mark Lanigan's like one of my favorite singers. I was like, this is bullshit. This guy's really <laughs> fucking having me on here. This well, is crazy. You're about to, you know... You're getting close to the Craigslist murders by having Bertrand on there, though. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> we <laughs> are just, we are skirting controversy throughout this whole episode, aren't we? Whew. Okay. So <laughs> I'm just, just blow past that yeah. one. <laughs> so I open up this demo and um, play it, obviously. And it sounds fucking incredible. Yeah. And I get to the party, talks about, it, and I'm like, that is Mark Lanigan. I'm like, this is really thorough. This is really. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's going all out for this prank. This guy's going all out. This is really realistic. <laughs> he really wants to murder me. <laughs> anyway, I guess 
at some point I thought, well, I better, I better go and, you know, <laughs> fuck it. I die or I get to be on this amazing thing, one or the other. Right. And um, <laughs> luckily it was the latter. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I didn't get murdered. I went to his house because he, you know, he, he records a lot of the vocals and things just at his apartment in um in London, and wow. uh, it was great. I had I still had this fucking flu, so I um <laughs> I took every Superfed product known to man. I was like, give me the spray, give me the tablets, give me it all, and I was like, Ugh. daytime, nighttime, all of it, all of it, yeah. So yeah, I went there, and then um recorded and then I think the gig was at night which he came to and fantastic and we became mates and i went back to oz but then he yeah then he started saying you know there, there were a few other things for the project we worked on like i did some uh bvs on his track okay and then yeah then he was doing these records with um lydia and asked me to do some bits some vocals on that as well so man. i don't know man i've had some weird luck yeah this, like, seriously it was, it was super cool like and I love what we've done, and he's a great guy, and it's yeah, it's just really amazing. So, so between that time and the new album, which I guess would be technically your debut album, "We Are the Plague," have you just been playing out and and touring, working on the music? What? Because there's you know a few years between. There's a there's a gap there for yeah. sure. Um, well, I moved to England, which was like that you know. That takes some time, and that was a big thing. Um, I can't explain the other five years. No, um, <laughs> it was a very I, long boat ride. Yeah, it took ages. Uh, yeah, what did I do? What did I do? I mean, I got here, and then yeah, that first year was amazing. I had some great tours and things. I um, did a lot of really cool supports. Did some shows with Lanigan, and did a tour with Jim Jones and the Righteous Mind, and. Some yeah, did another little tour with Mick Harvey and things. That was in the first year, so I was like, "Fuck, I'm glad I moved over here." This no was kidding. Cool. And then yeah, it's just playing, playing a lot, playing out, popping over to Europe, doing shows. I guess before the album, there was you know for a couple of years I was putting out some singles, so it wasn't like we would. I think you know that started in 2016, actually recording those and then starting to put those out slowly. So there was activity, but it was just. Um, you know, it takes a long time. I put put the record out myself, and it's just like it's a lot to get your head around. Oh, I think I started sure. writing for it specifically in 2018, and then you know it took another what was it 2020? It came out, so you know, it just, just just takes that time. When you're working on an album like like your debut album here, how are you writing for it? Are you writing all the time? Do you like set time aside every day to write, or do you? kind of do it in a flurry like I'm, i've booked studio time now i have to write i've got to get this done uh i wish i wrote every day I, I mean i try to when i'm in a writing phase but it's very much um 
in cycles and okay. well because I mean when I was putting out the record it was just all about the fucking deadly boring admin side of things in a way you know what I mean <laughs> like, just like doing all the boring stuff that comes with that but I mean you know some of it's cool but so there's not a lot of time between that and day jobbing but yeah when, when I wrote I um and I'm, I'm doing this again now like uh I do put time aside and I sort of try and get into a little routine and doing a lot of writing in the morning before the day gets away yeah I um for, for the writing of this album I was actually really lucky I um I'd written some of the songs when I was traveling around Europe when I first moved over this side of the world, but then for the rest of the material, I was um, fortunate enough to have a house because I was living in London at the time. I lived in London for four years, and then uh, oh wow, okay, a empty house in Brighton came up, and I was offered that I could stay there to write. So it was it was just a shell. It was in between um, tenants, and I got. I've got a bed and a fridge or free cycle and just set up camp here just to have no distractions. And I just um, just wrote for like I was here for a couple of months. I, you know, I got back up to London between then, but I was here a lot of the time for a few months. And, uh, yeah, I kind of need that, that quiet time and that time away. Or, you know, it's a bit of a luxury, so I don't need it. But yeah. um, it was amazing to have it at that time. But, uh well- yeah. Did the house so the house is basically empty and yeah. you did really had nothing so it that really infuse is infused in the entire album. I mean the album sounds like you're living in a spooky, creepy, empty house. So <laughs> so you kinda went method on that. You took your acting and and method acted your way into an album. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but it was Anyone just... got any haunted houses that I can borrow for the next few months while I write the next one? I... Just putting it out there. Come on over to, to Virginia. I know a couple. No Craigslist murders, though. So... <laughs> 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 I'm not going to comment on uh, if I know any of that either, but... <laughs> so the album, it's got this incredible feel to it i mean it's the the, your guitar the tone is amazing are you using vintage equipment or or is it the house maybe helping with the tone what are you using gear wise uh so that's funny because i actually i'm i'm not happy with the tone of my guitar i never am though so like it's always something i'm trying to get better but no it's most of the guitar actually i can pretty not not all of it most of it's recorded on my um got a les paul standard 2008 standard which i've been playing for years i just recently got a new one just after i finished recording i got a new guitar so nice nice <laughs> see more of my jag but um <laughs> yeah, i recorded that and then oh, i used a few amps during recording so i've, I've just got a, a fender blues junior an orange tiny terror but then we also used um Oh, God, I went blank on this last time. <laughs> it was a Fender. It wasn't a twin. It might have been a Deluxe, Fender Deluxe at the studio. So we did. I did a lot of reamping at the studio. And, okay. um, they had, like, a bigger Fender there which than my, than my Blues Junior. So that, and, yeah, just a bunch of pedals. So cool sounds. It's got a great sound. I mean, it, it sounds like a, a Kim Thiel playing Doors covers with like, oh, I love Kim. Uh, with like a sane version of Diamanda Galas or maybe like 
Kim Carn singing. It's it's if I could get all those people together, that's kind of what I think the album sounds like. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> right. I'm taking that one. Thank you. Oh, no, of course. <laughs> Listening. I love him. He's great. Oh. I think from all that music I listened to when I was a teenager, for me, Soundgarden's the one that really endures. Like, yeah. doesn't sound dated. Doesn't you know? I still love all the stuff because it's teenage music. I mean, Nirvana I love too, but Soundgarden, man, like every element of the band is just well. And they they so pro- gosh, they yeah. they progressed. I mean, like mm-hmm. Nirvana kind of you know if you like Nirvana, like, you like Nirvana, and but they. They would have progressed had they not been cut short. You, you hope know? so, yeah. But yeah, they would have. And Pearl Jam progressed, but I didn't like what they did when they progressed. Yeah, the me too. I dropped off after the first few, and I, I'm not sure what they do now. But for me, I dropped yeah. off. But I, I loved them, you know. I loved the first few oh, albums. And- I was such. I, I was obsessed by Pearl Jam back when it, when mm. it came out because I was in college in '91 yeah. uh, when it came out. And I got that every single that came out had a bonus track on. I bought that every import, every every bootleg of a live mm-hmm. performance I could find Brilliant. because it was so different from everything I had been listening to at that point. But mm-hmm. but Soundgarden, there's only one album of Soundgarden I don't like, but it's the one everybody likes. It's uh, Down on the Upside. I just oh, yeah, I love some of the tracks on that. I love it. Some of the yeah. tracks on it are great, but as a whole, I think it's their weakest. I don't it it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, my favorite is is uh, louder than uh, louder than love. That's mm-hmm. that's my favorite Soundgarden album of all time. But that's also the one that introduced me to the band, really. So yeah, it's funny. Like I think it always sticks with you. Like yeah. when you have that introductory album, and I think I think that's why you know people will swear by this kind of music we're talking about if you were at a certain stage in your life at that time, you know, yep. whereas some people it's the Ramones and that's because that's where they were at that time in their life. And like, there's no right or wrong. I think that stuff just stays with you and you're in your formative years. Exactly. And I'm <laughs> kind of wondering what, what it's going to be for my kids. Cause they're 16, 17 and 18 right now. So God help them. What's out there at the moment. <laughs> Fortunately they have <laughs> me, but you, now you also produced your album on your own. Yeah. Is that yeah. hard to do to self-produce? Cause it, I mean, that's two completely different hats you're wearing. Is it hard? Well, yeah, but I don't know any other way. You know, I, I, I would like the experience of working with a producer I love and, um, yeah. Having someone, someone there to bounce off to support you through that i mean yeah it's it's a head fuck because you're going is this good enough do i need to change that is that okay is that not okay like and you've got i mean i had people around me you know the engineer i worked with and you know people i trust and yeah band members and things but i think there is that thing of you do feel like you're holding it together and you got to figure out the riddles and things but it's also something i love because um i mean my background like I say, I studied audio engineering and then I was working in studios a bit for a few years, which um, I only really gave up because I was doing my own music and like I say, the acting and it was just like, I couldn't do all three. 
about the engineering, which I don't know. I mean, I don't regret it because I, I loved all things, but it was, it's given me that good grounding to, to be able to do that for myself if I want. So, it, I mean, and it's for the album, it meant I could do a lot more with the budget I had. So, you know, we went in and tracked the band and um, then I would bring those sessions back home and work on them at home. So I did all my vocals at home. I recorded them myself. Oh. So that's like saves a lot of studio time. I recorded a lot of most of the guitar at home and then just um, reamped it at the studio. So again, instead of a few days or whatever, doing that. What do you, okay, so can you explain that to me? What do you mean by you recorded it and then reamped it? Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, so at home. I, you know, I can't play super loud here, though I probably did play a bit louder than I should have. And I'm really sorry, neighbors. I don't, I think she's just gotten over it. We've become mates now. But oh, like, good. <laughs> like, There's another album coming up. Yeah. Um, just give her a copy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so reamping, basically, you set up the signal. So you're going, you have a DI signal as well as your amp. So what I, I went through a splitter pedal. So from my guitar, to a splitter pedal. Okay. And then you have one signal going direct into your DAW, into your computer. So you've just got a pure signal of the guitar that would go into an amp, right? You've just got that. And then play through an amp as well. So you can, I did put a mic on the amp here, but it wasn't a great sound. And so through the amp, you have your effects and the, oh, you know, so you can hear it and you can play off it, right? Yeah. Okay. And then that pure tone when you go into a studio you can run that then into an amp into a bigger amp with proper mics in a big room and and then you can get a really great tone so that's how you amp okay that makes a lot more sense now yeah which is great because you know that gave me the time to experiment to try things out to redo things over and over to like whatever you know it gives you time that you know on a a budget you don't have you know right Um, well, that was going to be my next question was for the album. And the album is We Are the Plague. So you're not prescient because <laughs> you didn't record it that quickly. You recorded it. Came out in, it came out in 2020, but you started it in 2018, 2019? Started writing it 2018. Okay. Recorded, yeah, tracked the band in January 2019. So you might be Worked psychic. Home for a few months. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the title, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even yeah. remember what I was gonna what the question was gonna be. <laughs> I just totally lost that question. Um, Which and, sounded like you were getting at the name. Like, did I have the title before the pandemic? Is that the? Yeah, it's yeah. It was gonna be something to that effect. It. Uh, and how long did I take to track the album and work on it? No. You could probably interview yourself at this point. No, no. <laughs> I I, yeah, I I, we were on wavelength here. That's all. I, I was just, yeah, I was curious how long. Oh, I remember what it was. You mentioned, you know, you know, saving time in the studio by recording at home. Did do you have all the, uh, the the music worked out when you got to the studio, or or was any of it created in the studio? When, or no, no, that's. I guess that's part of the producing kind of process as well is in, in band rehearsals before we went to the studio. Um, Cause I, there's just, Oh fuck. I would love to make an album when you go to a studio for three months <laughs> and, stuff, and like they used to, you know, yeah. no wonder they made great albums. Like any fucking knob could make a great album with like that much time <laughs> in a studio. Yeah, but like, exactly. but it's, um, <laughs> it's, 
yeah, basically in the rehearsal rooms, we worked out the arrangements. I worked out the tempos in case I don't, we didn't do everything to click, but I always think it's really good to work that out before you get into a studio in case you sort of go off track and you're like, fuck, this isn't sounding right. So, you know, work out the tempos, work out the exact arrangements. All of that was worked out before that there would have been, that's for like the main bass, drums, vocals, guitar parts. But then when you, when it comes to the sort of layering of things on top of that, that was done in, uh, after the initial recording sessions. So when I've got the basic tracks down, I then brought that home and worked on the arrangements further. So like extra guitar parts or harmonies or what else have I got on there? Pianos and, and shit like that. So, okay. <laughs> shit, yeah. like that. <laughs> shit like that. All that crap. Yeah. But yeah. is the, um, <laughs> is the live band the same people that are playing in the studio? And has that changed? Has the, the live band changed much throughout your time in, in the UK? Um, Gavin, Gavin J has been with me on bass for the whole time. Or well, since, you know, I had the band in um, the UK, he, he, he plays with uh, Jim Jones on the righteous mind. That's how we met on that tour. I mentioned before. Um, yeah. then we've had a few drummers, but, uh, on the record is Jim McCauley, and he was playing live with us for quite a while. He actually, he just got too busy, so we had someone else in for, yeah, you know, until we stopped playing live a year and a bit ago. Um, yeah. yeah, so so a few drummers, and um, who, uh, who knows when we'll play live again and what will be the situation then, don't know. Well, that, that kind of brings me back to the one, like the one of the first questions I asked you when we started recording here. How was the situation over there? Are you able to, is there a day, do they have any time ready where you can start scheduling tours? Because it's happening over here. I mean, they've got tours and there's people playing live now. There's shows mm. out there. So is is there yeah. a time when they foresee you being able to, to resume playing live again? Mm. Well, there are some gigs already happening, but they're at reduced capacity. So no one can really cover costs because it's, you know, a lot of the time you're scraping by at full capacity. So that's wow. hindered things. I do have some support slots booked in October with Humanist actually, who, yes. as we said, listen to you on your show. But, um, so if I, it looks like those will go ahead. They say that, um, they're calling it freedom day when things will resume as normal. I mean, they've, they've got massive sporting events happening at the moment and people are allowed to go in their thousands, but we're not allowed to have gigs. And I guess it's cause it's indoors, but like, I mean, and I, I, I'm not saying it's a good idea. I don't think it is a good idea, but, but we've got a lot of people vaccinated now. I think it's up to 60% fully vaccinated at the moment. And it's, they're doing, that's the one thing they haven't fucked up here is getting the vaccines rolled out well. And, um, and it, you, yeah, not not letting anyone else have um, the bastards. But yeah, it's <laughs> but yeah, that's another thing. But um, yeah, so so there's that, and they say we'll be back to normal. So so fingers crossed that will happen basically later this month. Well, but in terms of me touring, like the other thing is because everyone's rescheduled their tours and everything. I've heard like next year's all booked out, so I'm not I'm not even looking at it yet until we have some certainty because it's just it's it's too hard to plan anything it's too hard to plan next week at the moment isn't yeah. it <laughs> yeah and like, like you said you know everybody's scrambling for 
every open slot that they can find. It's it's got to be a nightmare trying mm-hmm. to schedule anything at this point. Yeah, for sure. So fingers crossed. I mean, th- I'm sure there'll be things around. I've heard venues are sort of keeping some slots open for more, like for not just rescheduled tours. But um, I haven't really even looked at it yet, to be honest, because it's all such a such a shit show. Well, I, I also <laughs> I can imagine that not a whole lot of the songs or i mean maybe maybe they have but it doesn't appear like a whole lot of the songs on we are the plague have been played a whole lot live if the album was just released in like mid 2020 yeah i mean a few of them had worked their way into our set most of them we played live some only a couple of times okay and maybe a couple maybe a couple haven't been played live at all so mm. and maybe. One of my, you know, one of one of the things that I love is is the Louder Than War blog, and you know they named that album "We Are the Plague" uh, number sixteen album of the year. Yeah, that was so cool. John yeah. Robs, he's awesome. Love the membranes. Yes. Oh, I mean, they're so cool, man. Their last couple of albums are just. Their last two are just mm. mind blowing. They're amazing. They're like really great. I love the guitarists. Yeah, with their guitarists as well. But yes. Quality band, man. But I'll tell you what, the end of We Are the Plague, that that sequence of you were there in the darkness, silence of my bones to negative profit, one of the best sequences of songs that I have heard in a long time. It just yeah. keeps that incredible atmosphere going and it makes it so tense and just, oh God, I, I, I love that sequence. Thank you. I wonder if other people got to the end of the record. I hope so. Just a couple. Yeah. Well, you said you're working on some new material then. Uh, Hopefully, what stage of the process are you in for the next album? Very, very early. Very early. Like, I'm, I'm just getting back into the writing all the time. I've been working a bit on just playing around with some production stuff. I, I did a bit more, more for the JLP project actually, because we're working on the next album. I'm doing quite a lot more for the next album with um, Cypress Grove, but um doing a bit of arranging for other artists. Uh, got my own track on it as well and things. So sort of been doing bits for that and, um, and yeah, playing more around with, with the production side of things, but just, just getting more into writing. Uh, to be honest, after putting the album out myself last year and then um, just Plagueitis and Winter, I was a bit like burnt out for a bit there and just went, <laughs> and so, I mean, I've been, I've been tinkering for a couple of months, but I, I think I can feel the kind of cogs starting to like work properly. And like, I, I always think with writing, I, I just um, I sit down for a week and just write rubbish, you know? And like, I know it's, I'm okay with that. I go just write shit, and then it starts to flow. And um, right, yeah, I just I've just started getting the flow on, so it's it's good. I'm uh, creating, and it's good. But there's, yeah, I'm not sure how long this one will take. I'll try and do it quicker. 
I'm not going to promise anything because, <laughs> you know, then I will jinx it completely. Oh, yeah. You don't want to do that. Not not this day and age. No. God. <laughs> Man, you jinx something in 2021. Forget it. It's that's. 2022 is a year. Yeah. 22 is a good, that's my lucky number. So yeah. I'm, oh, I'm putting, it all on, putting it all on 22. All right. <laughs> putting everything on 22. Always bet on 22. <laughs> well, Susan, I, I've, I've kept you for a while. I mean, I, where can people find the album? How can they pick up any of your work, the EPs, the, the We Are the Plague debut, uh, and follow your progress as you work on the new album and hopefully maybe get a chance to get out at some point? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my website's a good place to start, susiestapleton.com, uh, and... Yeah, I post on Facebook and Insta a lot about just updates and what I'm doing. So follow along there. But yeah, also if you're if you're more a record shop person, you can get the album or order it into pretty much any anywhere worldwide, thanks to Cargo Distribution. So yeah, go ask there or come come see me online. Thank you so much for spending this your early evening with me it's been a it's been wonderful getting to know your music and 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 learning about your story and and how you got to uh we are the plague because it i, I we went deep there man i that was, it was, I that was yeah i try <laughs> thank I try. you It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 